I do not have enough hair left on my head for you to keep on playing like this. Welcome to another episode of Lombardi Time Brews. I am your host, John Delray. Huh, crap. <laughs> I've been mulling over all the things to say in this video since the game ended yesterday. There are lots of different thoughts. I'm going to recap them pretty briefly. Just going to go over defense, offense, and then lastly, special teams. But first, I have a few notes about overall leadership and what seems to be going on in this Green Bay Packer team. Before I dive into that, please hit like, share, subscribe, follow the Lombardi Time Brews channel. Uh, you can also follow me on Twitter. It's at John Delray. That's J-O-N-D-E-L-R-A-Y. All right. So if you're new to the videos, welcome. Uh, if not, welcome again. <laughs> let's let's dive into this, this, uh, this atrocity of a football game. You know... Ultimately, on the whole, I do have to say that this game was substantially better than week one last year when they went against the Saints and got trampled 38-3. It was better than that. But still, there seems to be this tendency in the Lafleur area era that there are just certain games that the Packers just don't get off the plane. They just don't want to. You know, we've seen it predominantly with California games. The one from San Diego stands out a couple years ago. Um, obviously, Florida, uh, the one against the Saints last year stands out. You know, in addition to week one, Lafleur's offensive performance in week one of three of his four years has now been lackluster. We're talking like 10 points or less. Three of the four years that he's been head coach of the Packers. And I don't quite understand why. A lot of people right now want to attribute it to the lack of preseason reps, but I just is Aaron Rodgers playing 10 snaps in three preseason games going to make a difference? Can you say the same about Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon? No, it just it feels like something else is going on here. It feels like for whatever reason we just can't get ready for week 1 if it's on the road. And I can't answer why. You know, diving in specifically to one trait of Matt LaFleur's leadership, you just knew, as the game was trending a certain direction yesterday, that at his post-game press conference, Matt LaFleur would stand up there and say, this is all on me, coaches didn't prepare enough, etc., etc., etc. We've seen in every single time one of these losses creeps up. Now, luckily, he hasn't lost that much now in three years plus. But still, every single time, we know what the refrain is. And it's predictable. You could have called in the second quarter yesterday. All right, if Green Bay loses this game, he's going to walk right up there and say it's all on him. Okay. Coming out of McCarthy going into Lafleur, it was refreshing year one to have Lafleur stand up front and say, 100% on me, I support our guys. Year two, all right, yep, young coach. 
year three. Well, now we're in year four. In terms of just being a leader of men, first off, it's incredibly difficult. It's extremely nuanced. Every individual you're in charge of is completely different. But you as that leader have to create messages that go across all these different people. And the Fleur, time and again, has chosen this message, which at first was very positive. It was very welcoming. It was very supportive. Now we're in year four. And that same message, if it becomes predictable, loses meaning. Every single loss that happens, he can't just walk up and go, well, it's all on me. Because it's not. Could they have prepared better for yesterday's game? Yes, absolutely, unequivocally. Were there scheme issues? Yes, absolutely, unequivocally. We'll get into a couple of them. Were there problems with what Lafleur did in the coaching approach of yesterday? Yeah, 100%. Was there also a number of just straight-up mistakes by the players? Yeah. There were execution flaws all over the place. Players and coaches continuing to do the chronic Green Bay Packer problem of just overthinking. For instance, we're going to get to this more later, but what is that offensive line? You're overthinking it. Put out the five dudes who can block. That's it. Lafleur says it himself all the time. We want the best five. You didn't put out the best five yesterday. I will not get on the train that supports that. I just, I'm developing this growing problem with Lafleur getting up to a press conference and saying, it's all on me. Because it's not. There were things he could have done better. There were things the players could have done better. But when you use that phrase every single time, completely loses its meaning. Because everyone knows you're full of it. I just want to contrast, but not at all to say that he's the perfect leader, because you're not, but like, just want to contrast the Matt LaFleur press conference yesterday to the Aaron Rodgers press conference. Rodgers took moments of personal accountability, for instance, saying that that interception to Cobb was stupid. His decision not to just run it in from the one was stupid. He was critical of himself, for sure. But he also had no issue saying, in a still caring, supportive way, that things went wrong. For instance, the Christian Watson drop. Now, I have a different issue with Rodgers than what he's saying here, and I'll address that later, but... Rodgers, in the press conference specifically, said, drops are going to happen. He's a rookie. We know that drops, they're just a part of football. They're going to happen. But damn, it would have been nice to have that. Yeah. Every single part of that is true. Of course it would have been nice to have a 75-yard touchdown. And of course rookies are going to occasionally drop the ball. It was very unfortunate that it happened like that. But Rodgers was able to be honest about it. And Lafleur, I think, in his leadership style, at least publicly. Now, what he says in the locker room could be 100% different. In which case, all of this is null and void because in the grand scheme of things, we don't matter. Only they do. But I'm saying what he gets up to in his presser. It's just not enough. Or, if it is factual... 
If it's you, 100%, if you can get up there and say, it's on me, I should have prepared better, we lost because of me. Dude, why does it keep happening? I think it needs to be a worthwhile question then. Or, here's a great one, continuing to walk up there and say, Aaron Jones needs to touch the ball more. Who the hell is in charge of that? It's not Aaron Jones. There's basically three people that can be held accountable to that decision, and one is Coach Matt LaFleur, one is Aaron Rodgers, and one is Offensive Coordinator Adam Stenovich. And Stenovich isn't calling plays. So it's either LaFleur making the call or Rodgers on the field. Now, LaFleur has said repeatedly that he doesn't have any issues with Rodgers changing his plays in the past, going to audibles. And we know that a certain subset of plays are run-pass options, otherwise known as RPOs, where basically Rodgers, per what the defense is doing, gets to decide, are we going to run it here or am I going to pass it? But who the hell is in charge of getting Aaron Jones the ball more? Rodgers said yesterday after the game we want to get him the ball more. Lafleur said after the game that only giving him eight carries is a crime. Yeah, we know. So fix it. That's the problem I'm beginning to have. Is Lafleur? you stand up there, you say that it's 100% on him, on you, but... <laughs> Aaron Jones still only touched the ball eight times. Averaged like 10 yards per touch. On a day where you could barely complete a pass to save your lives. And you've got him running at 10 yards a carry or 10 yards a touch. A.J. Dillon was one of your highest graded Packers on the field in any way, shape, or form yesterday. (laughs) Eventually, there's got to be someone on that sideline that says... Hey, coach, we're in the third quarter. We know you're busy. We know you've got a ton on your mind. Aaron Jones has four carries. They got like a 27-person coaching staff, and no one can do that? I know I'm oversimplifying, but the truth is, you can't continue to walk up to a press conference mic and say, this is my fault, this is my fault, this is my fault, this is my fault. And then not do anything about it. Because we've heard this refrain so much. Lafleur is an excellent head coach. I am not attempting to disparage him in any way. But the truth is, you gotta do something about it. If it's always your fault, do something. If it's not your fault, fix it. Aaron Jones needs more than eight carries. Period. That's it. Let's dive into the offensive side of the ball. Some of this is going to be a very familiar refrain. Upon the rewatch of the game, this was obvious both in the rewatch and watching it yesterday, Aaron Rodgers was just trying to do too damn much. He's trying to find guys open. He was extending plays. He was running for his freaking life from that O-line, which we're going to talk about soon. (sighs) But he was just trying to do too much. And the truth is... You can't be that guy in this part of the season right now. You've got two rookie wide receivers, which have been very much talked about, but you've got two rookie wide receivers that don't know completely how to do your version of the scramble drill yet. 
So you extending plays isn't going to be as fruitful as the days of when you had James Jones, Randall Cobb, Devontae, Jordy. You don't have that four deep receiving room anymore, which means more plays need to be designed to be in time. You've got to hit the open guy quicker. Get the ball out. You're not going to get a three touchdown play, so you can't tie it up in one play. It was one of the earliest drives of the game for the Packers yesterday. They were only down 7-0, and they drove down the field, predominantly using the running backs. And then it just stopped. And I don't mean just running the ball. I mean Rodgers doing flats, doing outs to the running backs. And it worked. They moved the ball quickly, and then they got to the red zone and just died. Just stalled out. Because again, the goal line offense for this team is a problem, which makes no freaking sense. I just, you can use the pony package when you're fourth and goal on the one, third and goal on the one. Put Jones and Dylan on the field together. This doesn't have to be rocket science. You don't have to scheme up an Einstein theorem. Running back big, running back strong, running back fast. Give him ball that's it so stop trying to do too much just get the ball in the end zone if these third and goal the one fourth and goal the one it's you it doesn't have to be overthought and for god's sakes run it to the left not to the right you got jake hansen and royce newman on the right go to the left good lord But the point is, for as talented as Aaron Rodgers is, you have to stop doing so much. Your offensive line can't... Right now, with Jenkins and Bakhtiari out, Rodgers can't do the scramble drill where he's running around for six seconds. He's going to get killed, which we saw a few times yesterday. The line can't do that like it could three years ago, four years ago, even at times last year. Not until they're back. Which means you got to take the snap and get rid of it. And I don't mean throw it away like he led the league twice in, I think, in 2018 and 2019. you got to find a receiver. And if Lafleur is the scheming genius, get guys open. I, I know I'm oversimplifying, but this is just, this is the culmination of a lot. Because we shouldn't see these problems again and again and again and again. Yesterday, Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon, their usage was equal Combined, their usage combined, Jones and Dylan combined, was equal to Dalvin Cook's usage. Dalvin Cook was the second biggest offensive star of the day for the Vikings. So our top two playmakers combined in terms of usage equal their number two. Can't have it. You need to become a running team. You need to become a quick pass team. Accept it. Get over it and start implementing the plan that you've built the roster to be. Be that team. Don't try to be somebody else anymore. Accept it. That does nothing to speak of the Christian Watson drop. And again, I'm not going to hold it against him. It's a drop. He's a rookie. Yeah, it would have been great. The larger issue that I have is where did he go the rest of the game? 
you saw him absolutely obliterate Patrick Peterson. First snap of his career. Then we didn't hear from him again until I think like the fourth quarter? Maybe the third? If the guy's got those kind of athletic tools, which we know he does, try that play again. Try something to get him wide open again. I I know I'm oversimplifying again, but like... Dude, that big, fast, and strong, get him the ball. Find a way how. Just because of the one drop doesn't mean he just doesn't exist anymore. Let's talk about the O-line. The offensive line yesterday, I, I've i been saying it all along. I want to support Jake Hansen as a fan, but I don't get it. I like him as center too. I don't get this infatuation with him at right guard. When Stenovich was talking him up in training camp, Stenovich talked about how his run blocking has really improved, which was always his strength, but now they're seeing the light bulb turn on and, and pass blocking. Always the thing that Jake Hansen had to work on, and and he was getting better during camp. But now, week one of the regular season, I'm just going to read off for you the PFF grades of the six offensive linemen who played yesterday. Number one is Yash, an overall grade of 71. 87.5 pass grade. That is excellent. Yash is doing quite well. John Runyon Jr., up until he left the game with his concussion, these are his scores, 47.6 overall grade, 84.6 on pass, 39 on run. Okay. Certainly not good in the run department, and I am eager to see the All-22 Coaches film. That's the film that kind of turns it so it's behind the center and you can actually see the O-line. You get to see all 22 players on the field. Um... That may help enlighten why some of these grades are the way that they are. But, nonetheless, 39 and run for John Rennie Jr. certainly leaves something to be desired. Myers had an overall grade of 55.7 with both subgrades right around there. Um, Zach Tom, he came in and the offense started doing better. So at least from the telecast, it looked like something's going correctly. Um, They started moving the ball to the left side more, it felt like, when he came in. You just can't tell me he's not part of your best five. He had an overall grade of 43.2, which is lower than I expected watching the telecast. So again, eager to see the All-22, see what happened there. Um, Royce Newman, right tackle, 59.9 grade. Second highest on the offensive line. Um, And he got his grade because of the run. 69.1 grade in the run, 47.8 in passing. You can live with the passing grade because of that run grade. Still not great at tackle, that's for darn sure. But Royce showed a lot of great flashes last year that he was really developing as an O-line prospect. I am not his biggest fan, but I at least can justify him, especially right now, being in the starting lineup. The next person I just can't. I can't honestly say that he should be in the starting lineup, and that's Jake Hansen. He had an overall PFF grade of 44.4. 60 on the run. So very indicative of what we know Jake Hansen to be. 60 on the run. And then his pass blocking grade. 14.4. Go to the film and it backs it up. 
he got steamrolled on several times. Plays absolutely just fell apart because there was this just opening on the right side of the line and Rodgers had to run for his life. You, you can't tell me that someone who gets a 14.4 pass grade is part of your best five. I'm fine with him being on the roster. I'm fine with him being backup center. But someone like that cannot crack your starting lineup. You cannot put someone in your starting five who is going to eliminate half of your offense because your quarterback has to take off sprinting. It is inexcusable. And to me, it's being overthought. Again, just like in Frisco, with the playoff game last year where the coaches sat back and had to rethink the offensive line because of their injuries, and then they thought too freak freaking much. Stop thinking and put out the dudes who can block. So, in terms of defense, oh, one last key stat. Uh, seven pressures were logged against Royce Newman and Jake Hansen on the right side of the line. Seven pressures, four of which were Hansen alone. Just wanted to throw out that nugget. And then defense. I don't get it. I understand that you cannot have Jair Alexander shadow Justin Jefferson every single snap of the game. I even understand what Joe Barry uh, was talking about in postgame where, you know, if you've got Jair one-on-one with JJ and he's going to follow him around, that means that the rest of the defense can't set until they see where Jefferson is. All right, I get it. I get it. 100%. But could you maybe do it a little bit more often than you did? Maybe just key moments would be great. Because we didn't even see that until really like the second half. The secondary yesterday just played poorly. Adrian Amos had one of the worst PFF graded games of his entire career. That first Vikings touchdown, yes, they the Vikings did a double motion. A complex offense that you've got to stick with. You have to communicate well, which with the secondary talent and experience that the Packers have, they should have these communications down pat. They did not at all. So that first Justin Jefferson touchdown, there was a double motion. Jefferson was the second one to move in motion. Came from the left side of the field over to the right where Amos and Stokes both were. Thielen was already over there on the right side. And so you've got Amos and Stokes, who both were eyeing up Thielen. Even on the film, you see Stokes' head is turned in towards the quarterback, looking directly at Thielen. And all of a sudden, Jefferson comes up in motion, goes to the far outside left, ball is snapped, or outside left of Stokes, far right side of the field, ball is snapped, and Stokes keeps his head inside, only covering Thielen. Now, we don't know what the defensive call was. Razul Douglas was originally on Jefferson over on the other side, and he's the one that called, or at least yelled, for the switch. Was the call that Razul should have come all the way across the field with Jefferson? Or was it an actual designed switch in that instance, in which case Stokes needed to take his head from Thielen and turn it to actually see Jefferson coming around the outside? Stokes obviously didn't do that, and it wound up being a touchdown for the Vikings. 
But is that Stokes' fault or is that Razul's fault? Either way, both of those guys have the pedigree that that cannot happen. The other complaint that I have about this whole notion of, like, Barry saying that, well, if Jair is going to go on Jefferson, then we, you know, you got to play man all the time. That's fine. Play more man. We don't need to be this damn zone heavy. Jair, Stokes, Razul, all are excellent in man coverage. So call it. Stokes last year had one of the best metrics in the NFL for man coverage as a rookie. Let him play man. Stop screwing around. And it did appear as the game went on yesterday that Barry did attempt to simplify some of the coverages. And they still got torched. Now, it worked much better in the second half. Maybe that's when the adjustments were made. But, I don't know. It, The game yesterday felt extremely like Petten was back as defensive coordinator. Because the other thing that I couldn't figure out for the life of me is why are the cornerbacks lining up 10 yards off the line of scrimmage all the time? On first and 10! You're just begging them to get five free yards. And it happened again and again and again and again. We saw that with Petten. The floor used to complain about it. It's part of the reason we believe that Petten was let go. Because Petten refused to change and get the corners up on the line. You have this secondary you believe in. You have this ultra-aggressive secondary that played lights out all training camp. And then all of a sudden you get to game one and you're like, yeah, we don't, we don't really trust you. We're going to play a lot of zone. We're going to have you 10 yards off the line. If you have corners you believe them, have them get up to the line and challenge the receivers. And all of this does nothing to speak to the fact that Jefferson was open by a solid 10 yards on multiple occasions which is just a complete breakdown in coverage. I mean, just straight up broken play. Not even someone tripping, not someone covering poorly, just straight up broken play. Just inexcusable. On the positive side, the pass rush was at least semi-present. Kenny Clark played a monstrous game, especially when he was shifted out over the tackles. And for him to be, when he was inside, lining up, uh, oh, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but the Vikings rookie offensive guard and their center. I mean, Kenny Clark did some damage in there. Rashawn Gary had his sack. I did see per a PFF tweet this morning that he had one of the highest pass rush win rates in the league yesterday, which is exactly where you expect Rashawn to be. So, all in all, great thing there. Overall, defensively, against the run game, they did hold Cook to under 100 yards. He wound up with 108 yards uh, all told between all of his touches, but 90 yards running the ball specifically. Cook's killed you for way worse than that in the past. I know you were too busy getting killed by Jefferson, but, like, you know, you did hold Cook. So, I'm not as worried about the defense as I am the offense. The defense feels much more like, yep, we screwed up. We, just, we need to throw this tape away. We need to redo. Just start again. The offense, I'm a little more worried about because I feel like it's more of a trend. And I know new year, new season, new players. Okay, fine. But some of these things have been recurring. Get Aaron Jones the ball. 
Offensive line, stop overthinking it. Get the ball out quickly. So, will the offense fix itself? Yeah, I have no doubt. I really don't. But we saw this week one last year, too. Like, we've been through this before. But still, it's annoying as hell. Because these things that these are things that could be fixed. So, ultimately, I'm not tremendously worried about both sides of the ball. It was an extremely discouraging loss yesterday. But one game is 5.8% of the season. That's it. So, Packers will be fine. They were not fine yesterday. And I am through and through a positive Packer fan. This is probably the harshest I've been on them in a long time. But yesterday's game was really discouraging. One last thing that I want to touch on. I did say that I would mention special teams. Uh, Amari Rogers as a returner was fine. Really, the thing that wasn't fine was uh, punt blocking. Why can't we do it? I mean, three punts yesterday were almost blocked. And if you look at the the stills of like when O'Donnell got rid of the ball, the offensive lineman is just carnage. I mean, they're all just laying on the ground and all the Vikings are up by O'Donnell. Why can't we do it? Like, this is an honest question. I don't get it. I mean, there were a few punts where, like, ball was snapped and the, the blockers were already backpedaling. Why? Like, I, I just... I genuinely don't get it. And I have not spent much time studying special teams. I know. But, like, why are we so bad at this? For years. Hmm. I don't know. But... It's time to bid adieu for today. I will be back tomorrow with another Packers video. Um, we're going to be, uh, by that time, I hopefully will have access to the All-22, so I'm going to be taking a look at that. So I'll finish up with some thoughts on the Vikings game, but then we start to look ahead to Bears Week. It is one of the most historic rivalries in the NFL, uh, one of my favorite weeks, and it is time to dive in for the game against the Bears, who are coming off a very surprising Week 1 win. So, uh, there you have it for today's video. Please like, share, subscribe, um, and hit the share button. There we go. Sorry, I lost my words. Head on over to Twitter. Follow me on Twitter, at John Delray. That's J-O-N-D-E-L-R-A-Y. And hopefully we see each other tomorrow under much more positive circumstances. Go have yourself a great day. Thanks for checking out Lombardi Time Bruce.